0: This is a very special episode of Through the Wind Door, News of the Century. Take a, a sidetrack here and highlight one of the things that I found the most compelling. Not, not necessarily the most compelling, but that it's I like. compelling. That, yeah, oh, the, that I like the most oh. about this book. Obviously, we can completely understand how Abigail is able to accept that there is a version of her child in front of her. She has seen. Charlie presenting as female, very likely in the past, and so therefore, I mean, and it, she's even still wearing her father's hat. Mm-hmm. So, and she has been through everything that she has been through, lived in the future, had a child, and been through all of the same events that we have seen so far: secret rooms, uh, mm-hmm. Steamheart, unci- a version of Uncivil Outlaw. Excuse mm-hmm. me, the version of Uncivil Outlaw rather, because this is century now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And I want to
1: go back to Uncivil Outlaw, but that's for later.
0: Carry yeah, exactly. On. So she is very able to accept all of this. She and James have already done so much exploring of alternate timelines, alternate worlds, all that stuff. They are ready to deal with it. The MVP for this story is Catherine fucking Holloway. Oh. Because she has not experienced any of this. She's barely experienced some of it by the time charlie and the doc come forward and try to fix the events of uncivil outlaw Mm -hmm. but when a version of her meets charlie back during the days of weirwood and charlie has to navigate the experience of explaining look there's things i know and i can't tell you how i know them but please believe me when i tell you these things and Catherine is able to take all of that on board with no experience except for, hey, weird things exist because the goblins exist. That shows a strength of spirit and intelligence. Some of this other stuff just wouldn't work if she wasn't able to take the stuff on board. First during the uh, interception timeline and then during the Save the Tiger time.
1: I just want an audio clip of Maya (laughs) quoting James Stephanie Sterling and just going, Thank God for me. (laughs) Like, just...
0: Yes! And on that note, I actually have a special treat for everybody. Thank God for me. Many thanks to Maya for being a mensch and recording that for us on short notice.
1: We've talked about like how Catherine had missteps that she was trying her best, but like ultimately, thank God for Catherine Holloway. Mm-hmm. She nails it, this uh, story. It it just feels so in keeping. And uh, like one of my favourite moments with her is in when she is reading her letter to herself, and it's a the answer that her father gave her that never sat right with her, and that's such a <laughs>
0: Yeah, we we don't even know what that was, because we've heard her tell her story, but Mm. she hasn't talked about her father Mm. in her past that I can recall. So we can only imagine that in our own Mm. minds and perhaps draw a little bit of inference from Rebecca Wolverton's experience with her own father. Mm -hmm. But we don't need to see that moment. We can completely get it. Based mm. on what we know, Catherine's had to deal with mm. through her the the relation of her experience, just making where would happen to begin with.
1: You know what? I am very glad that we have a scene with uh, Rebecca and Catherine and nightfall of the Wendigo because mm. they like just thinking about it, it's like man, we need a scene with them. And then I remembered we have had a scene with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, it there's so much. Insight that you get into the various characters in this, that in many respects, it's a very focused story because you're just like you're following two people Mm -hmm. for pretty much all of it, or the majority of it, rather. But the people they interact with, it just shows like hidden depths to them. That's the Mm -hmm. like that's what you get to, I think, all of the characters because they aren't the versions of these characters that we have seen, but they always feel like a version of them that, yes, Wendigo, I know, I'm, like, it's good, he, isn't it? Just
0: settle down. Yeah, um, exactly. We're, we're getting to it. Just, yeah. just be patient.
1: But, like, <laughs> just things like how the trio timeline with how they all have, they're all named a different name because they've taken on mm-hmm. a different nickname, but they each have, in this past, in this version, Abigail wanted to be a history teacher which we saw that she would eventually become and how in the right context that's something she would always lean to it wasn't just Mm -hmm. in exceptional circumstances and the thing that like blew my mind but also sort of brought it right back together because it felt so right was James wanting to write wanting Mm -hmm. to be an author and I thought yes that feels so perfect because that's one of the first things that we learn about him in the definitive edition of Secret Rooms is that he was captivated by that thing. And you never think by about much. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. never think about this, that, that like that was something that we didn't see him touch on. And then when you see the James that we've been following from century finally sort of see that other part of himself that he had buried and like just as a result of Lucy's death, it's. Hidden depths, that's so rich. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to see all of this because Mm. Alex, in true fashion of a time travel story, is getting in before Marvel and he's doing what if first. It's wonderful, but it's so bittersweet because you know that these are hidden depths that have been paved over to some extent in the timeline that we know. And
0: can can you just imagine for a moment Charlie doing her own version of the Roy Batty monologue from Blade Runner
2: oh. about every
0: like obviously Charlie's not dead, but mm. but she has seen so much that nobody is else is ever going to see. She has experienced things that Doc hasn't seen because she's often the one going in and interacting the most with what's going on, particularly once Doc and um, is no longer a part of the picture.
1: This is too much, but she's a child of the digital age, and it's almost like it's such a true experience that you are taking on more information, more realities, more perspectives than any human was ever designed to experience.
0: Yeah, this, this is... Someone, someone wrote recently, and it was included on the Discord that the problem with Twitter,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which, which <laughs> the book even brings up, is like, no, no, don't create Twitter. What are you mad? Um, <laughs> like problem- that's
1: like, I love that. That's like a you know lingering thing at the end. It's like, yeah oh, this you know, there's problems that like we will have to contend with, but we made a good timeline here. Things are right. And hey, what about Twitter?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> But the the quote was specifically about Twitter is providing us far too much information too fast for our brains to be able to process. There is a problem with that. The experience that Charlie is having with the timelines is not that, but this is part of the reason why I crafted the introduction the way I did, because she has Mm. had to shoulder more than a child her age should have to in order to make everything right but she's Mm. she's she's the only one that could have done it Mm. that's that's part of the reason why this is a coming of age story is that Mm. she at the beginning of the story she wants to continue being a kid
2: she Mm. wants to
0: continue having a good time with her life before she has to become an adult and now she doesn't have a choice
1: the tragedy, the unspoken tragedy, but one that's there in the background being sieved at by the nag, is that even the version of herself or I suppose themselves because it's the mm-hmm. male presenting Charlie who will be returning back to mm-hmm. that like time. And it's almost like this is a element of trying to keep that childhood alive, but they have their own burdens and oncoming storms to face Mm -hmm. because they're going to 2019 and they think someone's got to go experience all the wonderful like social and open and and explorative events that 2020 has to offer. (laughs) And like (laughs) (sighs) and it's just so like, oh my God, that like it's it's I am holding my hand my head in my hands and I was holding my head in my hands beforehand because Once again, this process is so necessary to my experience of a New Century book because, god damn, is this a good book.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good book, but it comes with its own level of pain. Yes. And that's that's a little bit part of the, uh... okay, it's not a part of the remit of New Century. Alex is not literally trying to hurt us. But the topics that...
1: Yes um, he is, Greg. He's trying to uh, hurt you and me specifically. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he brought back Carl for a reason. I know he did. No. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: It's okay. Carry on. A good story, unfortunately, means that there is going to be some amount of pain with it. I mean, we already mm. know how much he and Sharon love their grief narratives. Mm. And since grief is a major component of New Century that means that that pain is going to be a major story component. It's almost a relief to a certain extent that, yes, Charlie, Charlie Harry Gray is going to go back and have to deal with 2020 and mm. all the things that we know people in 2020 have to deal with because mm. you and I have lived through it. But at the same time, we're also glad that a version of Charlie gets to do that because at one point female Charlie is reflecting on her friends and how she's worried about how they're going to cope and what it's going to mean if she isn't around to help. There is now a version of Nickelback that she is never going to return to. And so therefore Mm. we worry about those version of her friends Mm. at the very least in this version of Nickelback, Charlie, Harry Gray is going to return to them and perhaps provide the support that is going to be Mm to some of them in the storm that is coming in their world wait
1: everything you just said absolutely like I think true and holds merit emotionally and thematically but I have a sort of time travel wrinkle to consider you mentioned that there is a version of Nickelback that Charlie Penrose, female presenting Charlie, can't return to the version that she originated from, and you worry about the friends that she worries about. But does that world still exist?
0: Well, okay, so you remember the charts that Alex and and, and Jesse came up to
1: the corkboard with all the strings attached, yeah.
0: All right, so the one that Alex shows is doesn't illustrate this properly the one that jesse made however shows that nickelback without the dashes and nickelback with the dashes are mm-hmm. two in fact different diagonally intercepting timelines here
1: yes
0: Every, all of the changes that they have made is specifically to turning centrum into century. century yes but mm-hmm. okay and this this is this, oh, is no, ha- cross-eyed. This, this is where we're going to have to talk about Edward, because we haven't talked about uh-huh. him yet. There is now a version of Nickelback that doesn't have a Charlie, that doesn't have an Edward, that doesn't have an Abigail, and mm. that Abigail itself has been completely wiped out because it's part of the, the single timeline that Charlie and Edward have altered at this point.
2: Mm.
0: That world will never have those people return to it anymore and that means that's why i say that charlie penrose gray's friends group has been orphaned to a certain extent charlie harry can go back to his timeline the one in which the doc was callie and they can have their own life which now actually includes edward and that's why i want to talk about edward now
2: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: but One of the things that came up in conversation with Alex, particularly as he was reading out the story to Sharon and to Willow and their reactions to it, is that Charlie's story is is heavy and complicated due to what she has to shoulder at the age she has to shoulder it. But Edward's story is the saddest of them because... Mm -hmm. The life that he had in that version of Nickelback is irrevocably changed. The Abigail that he loved and that he knew to a certain extent that he was going to have to give up because she belonged to a world that was not his. She is not only lost to him because she was always going to have to return. At the very least... Edward thought that he was going to be able to accompany her and his sister, even if she decided to get back with James. And that version of Abigail was never betrayed by James, so the possibility of that happening was always going to be high.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But Edward also had to watch that Abigail die. He has lost... He grew up after having lost his twin sister, and that was already a heavy burden to to carry he has now lost the second person that means more to him than life itself and he has to find a way to move on from that at the, at the time i kind of referred to edward getting a version of callie back as being a consolation prize and i i regret i regret having said mm-hmm. that now. Because it was Edward losing Callie that was a defining moment of his life, just as Callie losing Edward was a defining moment of her life. And so to have these different versions of them to get each other back, even if it's just a version of them, means more to them than anyone can say. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, even though Edward is not going to return to his version, of Nickelback mm-hmm. he will be returning to a version of his world that will have his sister in it and mm-hmm. that means everything but he still has to live with the emotional weight of saying goodbye to Abigail twice mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. version of Abigail that he loved and the version of Abigail that is so close to the version that he loved and who loved his sister what i
1: love and this is such a uh, one of these days i'm going to have to articulate like what abigail and her various relationships sort of like what that does and like the good it does it's but what i love about her is that she can intuit from edward that they also had this connection (laughs) and without questioning it, because she gets people and she knows what Callie meant to... and still means to her. And she understands Callie well enough to know that, like, Edward was another part of her that she lost and vice versa, that this is another part of this person that she loves. So, of course, she kisses him. And, like, without having lived that... She's, Mm. she's able to see fourth dimensionally emotionally because she is able to not only do that for, and and I mean, like she's not able, not only able to do that for Edward, even though it's like, you know, another thing, but it's just such an appreciated gesture for her to do. And it's not just a gesture, it's deeply felt, but Mm. not only in that instance, she's able to say to charlie harry gray you have done so well and charlie harry gray says but i didn't do any of that and like yeah yeah like but she didn't do anything (laughs) like that did come to mind but like but abigail's means it and she says that like i know that you would have like Mm. and she says that with a certainty and we also know that he would have Abigail is able to see into other worlds. That is her power, her ability, Mm. and she's able to see possibilities from that. It's a defining... Oh my god,
0: you're right, the eye and everything like that. like It it Mm -hmm. almost naturally cleaves to her... Exactly. Personhood, yes. And
1: she argues in favour of keeping those worlds open because she sees potential. She is able to consider potential. And this is Abigail who has grown like uh, over 17 years and ah, uh, it's abigail is such a wonderful wonderful <laughs> character. like this is hmm. let's get back to edward because that was that I, but it was so necessary yeah. to have that mm-hmm. going back to edward and everything about him like Again, Alex was not satisfied with just doing the one hi dad or hi mom where, like, we've seen Edward, we like Edward, and it's mm. like, oh, like another back to the future. And I love that this person's motivation for time travel is time travel stories because that's what motivated Alex to write this story. It's what motivates us to be like, yeah, time travel. Like, we're all connected by it, and it means that we're so ready to love Edward and to love Callie as well. And how can you not be like, oh, this person idolizes and adores Doc Brown from, uh, <laughs> like, Back to the Future? And I'm blanking on the name of the actor who plays him. Um,
0: Christopher Lloyd.
1: Christopher Lloyd. Like, yes. And it's like, yes. How could you not? And they, like, they're
0: nerds. They're they're they're, they're glorious nerds. nerds. Yeah. And we love it. Uh, but I, I, I'm sorry. I don't please, want to interrupt. Please, please, please do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. In my introduction, I talked about how this is an homage to Back to the Future, but more significantly than that, it is a better version of Back to the Future. And I'm not saying that in, like, Back to the Future is a bad story. The two stories that are going on here, comparing them is like trying to compare apples and trout, you know? And a lot of back in time and space has to be built off of the larger narrative whereas Mm. Back to the Future is its own contained thing. And you can watch that from beginning to end without watching any of the sequels, and you can get Mm. the gist of what happened there. Mm. When I say that Back in Time and Space is a better version of Back to the Future, I'm referring to the fact that Back to the Future was made in 1985 and had two white protagonists, both of them Mm. men. Now we have genderqueer Charlie... And we have Doc Edward, who is by culture Hawaiian, but apparently mm. is also the result of many generations of the Penrose family marrying non-white people. And that's part of the reason why we love it, is because this is a yes. this is a modern story. And mm. it does things better by including modern diversity
1: in mm. it and and it's just such a good thing because like it's good that uh, you see that this is something that like because you have like this is a version of the James Penrose like descendants line that resulted from him marrying Rebecca and I love that detail that they say that like she's smiling in that photo and the acknowledgement that that's a rarity because of like the length of time a photograph is needed, it really puts into perspective. Mm. But like you have these very, like some of the most sort of like British in Temperament, like in the like all the positive things that you wish that you know British people could carry the like the ideal version that we talked about in a recently published episode with Calvin Wilson, like the Mm. ideal that we want without that like shit, like uh, sort of clinging to it. And it's like, look at this beautiful, like, sort of what's happened over time that when James is able to see that he shares with Rebecca, like. Look at just how wonderful this is. And it's like, that's a hope. That's what you want. And Mm -hmm. it's lovely. It's looking forward and looking at progress and evolution and the diversity of it all with a smile.
0: Nickelback is not the brightest timeline. No. Because it has Trump in it. Mm -hmm. it's a version of Earth that is very close to our own we know what's going to happen in 2020 and we know it especially because the nag fucking confirms it Mm -hmm. Um, straight from the
1: horse's mouth
0: (laughs) yes yes and we know from everything that Abigail tells us that the events of Nickelback's world are very close to our own and that makes us relate very heavily to all of that But it's nice to believe, it's nice to think about the possibility that in some cases, at least, the tragedies that are present, that shape the world in New Century, that shape the world in Centrum slash Century, Mm -hmm. turned out differently in Nickelback to some degree to the better. Mm. I mean, we don't see all ends. Unfortunately, Mm. we don't see what the Arlington's had to go through in the version of Nickelback. And it's probably just as well, because this story already has too much weight to it. The story of the Arlington's might not have turned out very well in Nickelback either. Mm. But you got to take your pope where you can. And that, again, is one of the founding tenets of New Century. Yeah, just seeing Toby like trying to high five me and just like gesturing yeah. wildly at the camera. You can't see this, but it's like this is this is why I like the fact that we're actually doing the video thing now because there's so much more stuff that we can see and respond to each other on.
1: It's and that's absolutely absolutely it. this is why I love this because like there's so many roads and things that we can pursue with this and like things that were set up that were followed through but like i think between us we get at the like themes and uh, ideas of this book because you're so right that like hope is ever present in new century that like that doesn't mean it isn't the abundance of bright realities hope is that thing that you give yourself, like to quote Tyra, to, that you give yourself in like the darkest of times. And this is proven because it's not something that is only there in like these brighter alternatives. Even in the crapsack timeline, the timeline mm-hmm. that is like officially called crapsack, where mm-hmm. so much has gone wrong, that world isn't without hope. You see it. Annie and Catherine are still fighting. It Mm. may be with a certain acknowledgement that there's not much like hope left, but it doesn't mean that it's all gone. For a while, you think that like Annie is sort of drinking to forget all of this, but she puts the bottle away. I believe she herself like puts it away. Like as the conversation turns towards what they plan to do that like what they still have the resolve to do that even in the darkest timeline whether it's out of spite out or out of your own determination or just that need to be of help to others and to the people around you to keep carrying on that hope is ever present and ever developing
0: yeah but at the same time we're also glad that This isn't actual... Well, I mean, we don't know that. There could actually be an alternate timeline where things did happen this way and that does exist out there. But Mm. the important thing about this story is that all of the potential we see Mm. is all through changing time and not not space. They are Mm. very literally altering their own timeline. Therefore, this potential, which is a bad potential... Is wiped out, and mm. they're starting fresh, changing things until they actually get it right. Maybe yes. somewhere in the infinite universe of possibilities, the crapsack timeline lives on. But at the very least, this going one to, have to live in a world. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: I, I really admire what this story does in terms of it's. It's very methodical in mm. how it reasons out all of this and. I have no doubt that the emotion and the sort of journey was thought of before the specific like plot developments and steps were mapped out. And I this took a long time. We know that for a fact, and it took a lot of working out. But you see that in the text, you see that this is a case of reasoning things out and going, like, okay, if we do this, like how do we change this element? In a way that means it has that result we want, but is also reversible, and you go back and you would appreciate it because when they took um, Stonewall Jackson back mm. to 1500 to like just take him out of that scenario... My head was wondering, like, oh, crap, this is going to go wrong. When they try to go back, like, Stonewall Jackson will have been killed by the time mm-hmm. they go back. And there's something about that. And, like, because drama, because development. But mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. It is They, they actually... take that into account. Mm. It's something that is part of the workings out. And that's why I really love that this is a process of two characters trying to solve this impossible equation and it's like and i'm very thankful for the wizard appearing at the end mm-hmm. uh, was it grandalf that someone referred to Merlane as yes yes it, uh, um, it it
0: was um abigail, it was abigail. Yeah. yeah abigail referred to Merlane as grandalf yes yeah which honestly makes perfect beautiful sense given the ideal placement of how Abigail learns about the Lord of the Rings to begin with, and therefore she has both the knowledge of modern media and the knowledge of Merlane to make that joke to begin with.
1: Essentially, what Merlane's presence there is that, like, Charlie and Doc have been trying to solve this equation, and they've submitted it, and Merlane is here to, like, mark them like, she's there, sort of... She's
0: the teacher, yes. Exactly.
1: Let me check your work now. (laughs) Exactly. And she gives feedback on it, and it's sort of, uh, you referred to something that Alex had said, that uh, the wise are not all-knowing, and how, like, they go, like, why didn't you tell us what to... And Malaya's like, because I don't know everything. Like, Mm -hmm. she's there to provide answers or something that, like, wisdom, but she is not, like, all-knowing. What she provides at the end, I forget exact wording of certain things, but it's essentially an acknowledgement that, like the destination they've arrived at, is not a perfect solution. Suffering still happens. It, it almost seems predetermined that it has to happen.
0: Yeah, the costs, sacrifices had to be made, mm. and the only question is who's making the sacrifice.
1: Yeah. Essentially, it's a case of, is this something that like, you're content to live with, to move forward with? Mm-hmm. And the the problem, because you think that they'll know that they've done something that has resolved their problem, when they're able to go to the future, and that blackness, that void, no longer mm-hmm. exists. But in this course of events, that void was still in the future. The problem still exists, like, and... I like that the destination of this isn't a neat conclusion where everything is fixed from this point forward. You've carved the future, and just because it's not perfect doesn't invalidate it. You have done your best, and that is enough. That's so, that's such a meaningful and like positive message to have in a media, especially like a time travel story where. Like, so often the idea is to find a neat conclusion, but like that's not what life is. It's messy, and sometimes it's just about where the chips lie and mm-hmm. trying your best to put them in a place where you can deal with it.
0: So, there's two things out of the stuff that you just said, and I'm going to tackle oh, them yeah. in order. We don't know yet why it is that what happens, or what could have happened that we continue to see the inky black void not mm. in 1900 like they did when they were trying to make the trio timeline work out but that they saw in 10000 10, yeah 10000 mm. AD when they were when when Callie and Charlie Penrose went back to save Doc Edward that could be just the natural result of the progression of events millennia later Or it could be the result of as before Rasputin getting access to the Starlit Eyes. And the point is, is that Charlie even asks Merlaine, is that future inevitable? And she says, Mm -hmm. No, it's not, and you know, does the thing where she transfers Abigail's shield from Edward back into Abigail herself, into this version Mm -hmm. of Abigail, since her shield is still inside the quartet of uh, Doc Callie's machine and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also an acknowledgement of the fact that Alex himself doesn't entirely know how this is going to turn out. This story, this overarching narrative has already changed multiple times just over the course of phase one by including Princess Thieves and those other stories and changing the order of everything and, and the way that the stories of Uncivil Outlaw and Stone Spring Maidens and Panther Soul, the way all of those stories have changed as well. He started one way with the story, and it ended up in a completely different way to echo, like, the ongoing narrative of New Century and the words that Thomas Arlington uses in Arlington, which we are still doing our shows on and everything like that. We'll while
1: New Century went true. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the point is is that the fight is still ongoing, but at the very least, the way things have turned out now, we feel like there's actually a fighting chance
2: mm-hmm. to make
0: sure that this reality does not die. Yes. And you're absolutely right that one of the conclusions of this story is that they can't completely fix this setup
2: mm-hmm.
0: because... Again, sacrifices still have to be paid. They can only get to a place where it's good enough, where hope Mm -hmm. is still alive, and the most hope is still alive, because they have their heroes with their agency and their powers and their knowledge now to go forward into the rest of New Century to try Mm -hmm. and solve all of the ongoing issues that it has and everything like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: There is... There is a potential way that they could have fixed everything. They lampshaded midway through the story itself. I'm not going to talk about what it is because, as Alex talked about recently on the Discord with all of those videos going on there about, like, how do you fix Saw? How do you fix this thing where you view the story as a puzzle to be solved? That's not what stories are about. You're completely missing the point. Yes. And part of the point of this story in particular, which you don't necessarily get first time around, but it, w- that I'm very glad that this is the conclusion that it came to, is that the solution to back in time and space is such that it preserves the integrity of all of the stories we have read. Mm. uncivil outlaw all of the rest of that stuff is a result of the choices that edward and charlie made Mm -hmm. so none of that is invalidated none of our emotional journeys are invalidated because Mm -hmm. those worlds don't exist anymore and that's a way of telling that story that i prefer rather Mm -hmm. than having had gone through all of this you and I having talked about all of these stories and now they no longer exist.
1: Oh yeah. No,
0: that, absolutely. that, that would feel, that would feel like a step too far.
1: Yes. 100%. It. I'm so glad that this was the direct, cause this was my next thing that I wanted us to get to. That was a mindful. Like, <laughs> this, this is all like, it's not just like a, Oh man, this twist, but like, Oh man, this twist! Well, like just this idea of it was always there, like uncivil outlaw. I mm-hmm.
0: they skip I've... over it so quickly. They make one line about how suddenly Jeremy looks ten years older, and the whole time, no,
1: they don't say that. Oh my god, this... you're kidding me! No, oh my I god, I went
0: back and you... looked at that moment. And it's the two of them... Alex, you son Jeremy of a bitch. Is, Jeremy isn't 10 years older, obviously. They've come from a timeline that happened very recently after that sequence of events. But that version of Jeremy is still carrying the weight of knowing this is how he acted in his past, and it resulted in Rao dying. He is not going to fuck it up this time. So... That's what we're seeing in that expression, written mm-hmm. all the way back like a year ago in our time. That we know now that Alex was going to include in this story.
1: I know, and just also the whole thing, which like you you remember in the past, like this feels like this will be important later. Of like Merlane telling James about Centrum, and mm-hmm. then him having a mind extension, and then. We call it century. It's like, oh, that seems that we're good, and we just move forward. And you'd like go, wait a minute, and then like I, as I was reading this book, I think I even like noted like, you know, I remember this bit where like apparently James, his head went a bit funny after mm-hmm. the hearing about century. I was like, wait a minute, this is, I thought that was overwritten or like we didn't have mm-hmm. that because I always assumed that melaine did some ma- and uh, that was important. <laughs> That was yes. important. I knew it was, and but like, here's the thing: that like clever bastard used a cast change to. We love you, make... Alex.
0: We, we're we we're calling you a clever bastard because we love you. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> I I apologize. This is this is what I do when I'm befuddled by authors. I, it's just, and uh, it, and I say it out of love, of just like God damn you for doing Merlaine. this. To us. Yeah, it's a different. Mulane, because it is a different Mulane. Now I'm just thinking of, like, well, wait a minute. Uh, This is sheer crackpot theory, but, like, what about those versions of Secret Rooms and everything where Catherine Holloway was voiced by Sharon? Is (laughs) that a different timeline? Eh? Am I am I maybe having a peek oh into something that will happen in the production of like back in time and space when that's an audio drama and Catherine is being played by both Maya and Sharon, depending on the timeline? Am I calling it? Maybe I
0: am. I don't, don't know. Don't go too far down the rabbit hole, Toby. That way like I mean, and this and all of this was was already things that were in mind when I wrote my introduction in terms of the meta text. The paratext of New Century itself being ever changing and everything mm. like that. And the way that this story brings that front and center as a part of the narrative itself. Mm. You know, this, 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 um. Fuck. Toby, <laughs> it's the reason why we're doing this podcast. It's too much to talk about here. There's too much to talk about. Oh my God. We need,
1: we need a vent. And then, like, in a year or two, when we actually get to this, we'll actually, mm-hmm. uh, I'm ambitious to think it'll be a year, but like, just uh, the idea of getting to this point and actually going over it, but like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this with one is going to be, comb,
0: s- Yeah, with a fine then, tooth comb. And by that time, we'll have read five more stories that we can't talk about. Sure. Because we have to, we have to talk about back in space and time, just knowing everything we know up to that point.
1: Yeah, we can't talk about the stuff that we know having gone back to it. Fuck.
0: I don't think our audience necessarily appreciates how much masochism we have talking mm-hmm. about these things and not being able to talk about the entire context.
1: This is why News of the Century is so necessary. Because mm-hmm. fuck it, like we can talk about everything. Like it's a
0: release like, valve. It totally yeah. is
1: and i'm so glad that we recorded this show several months back before back in time and space actually came <laughs> out but we had access to it yeah you forgot exactly. that you forgot about that third replanted it's mm-hmm. it's here like if i could i would love it so that like we could date this episode as coming out before like just put the date of release of like before
0: i mean we could but the problem <laughs> is then it then it might not show up in no, order. As
1: a it. new thing. No, yeah, it's, exactly. the joke um, is not worth it. The joke is yeah, not worth it. Yeah, exactly. But hey, Greg, oh. let's hop over to the alternate timeline where we did do that. <laughs> hey, Greg, why don't we do the state thing? Do you think that's a good idea?
0: Uh, I think that would be a very clever joke. Yeah, it would be very clever. Let's do it.
1: But that's not the timeline we're doing.
0: And that's the best possible place to end for today. To close us out, it's tempting to use one of the obvious songs from Back to the Future itself, but that's the easy way out. And since the novel makes so many references to modern music, we're once more going to go back to that well. There are a lot of artists invoked in the book that I am familiar with, but never heard, or at least not the albums mentioned, since Regina Spector is someone whose work I've heard on a couple of occasions through my life. And since the brand of Through the Windorm is music that has a personal relevance, I should keep up with that theme. I never owned a Talking Heads album, but you can't grow up in the 80s, or watch media from the 80s, or even watch media referencing the 80s, without coming across this track more than once in your lifetime. This is a quintessentially 80s song, in the same way that you might think of Ran So Far Away by a Flock of Seagulls, or Oh Yeah by Yellow, or Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. It was named by NPR as being one of the 100 most influential works of the 20th century, and is also known as a work that helped shape rock and roll. For myself, I can't help but listen to the chaotic lyrics of the song and not find patterns in the chaos that make me specifically think of Back in Time and Space. That fact itself being highly appropriate for the story we've been talking about. So until next time, listen to this brainchild of David Byrne and Brian Eno talking about Once in a Lifetime.
3: Yourself living in a shotgun shack You may find yourself In another part of the world You may find yourself Behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself In a beautiful house With a beautiful wife You may ask yourself Well How did I get here? you may tell yourself this is not my beautiful house you may tell yourself this is not my beautiful Of water the moon There is water at the bottom of the ocean Remove the water carry the water Remove the water
2: From the bottom of the ocean
3: You may ask yourself, Am I right? Am I wrong? You may say to yourself, My God, what have I done?
2: Lady?